0: Good morning, Uh, it's good to be with uh, you all. We've got uh, a number who are not with us this morning for a variety of reasons. Um, We've got some who are traveling and uh, some who are just kind of generally missing in action and we need to kind of figure out uh, if everything's okay there and check on those folks, but uh, it's good to be here with you all. Now, I'm curious as we get started this morning, I usually am, right? How many of you, by a show of hands, wait for the description, How many of you would say, generally speaking, you are the kind of person who doesn't just sit around and wait, uh, like say you've started a process, and maybe it's in someone else's court now, the ball is, or or you're waiting for something to finish up. It's laundry, it's paperwork, whatever. How many of you are the kind of person that you are going to go and find some other things to get done while you wait? How many of you, yeah, you just can't sit and wait on it. You've got to find other things, yeah. Okay, now, the exact opposite of that. How many of you are content to kind of sit back and and just sort of relax for a moment, Uh, you know, take this as a a sign that I'm supposed to just wait for a little while and you're okay to to not fill up that time with other things. You're gonna just kind of stay on task, you know. You're fine to just sit there and wait for it to get done. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Thank you. I was going to be embarrassed if I was literally the only one. <laughs> no, generally speaking that's me, but when it comes to church stuff, I just feel like my back is against the wall all the time and I'm always constantly like, you know, okay, well, while I wait for the bulletins to print, I'm also going to do this, you know. It's like 38 seconds and I'm going to try to find something else to do. So, so I I didn't mean to complicate it, but I'm kind of in both camps, I feel like I, I'm selectively in group A and then naturally more in group B. Um, But when it comes to household tasks and errands and things like that, it's probably okay to be in either camp. It's probably okay to to, to wait on things and to truly just wait or to fill your time with other tasks and find other things to do. It's probably okay. However, when it comes to waiting on the Lord's return, there are some things we have to be doing. We can't just sit around and literally just wait for the Lord to return. There are things we need to be uh, doing. While we wait for the Lord to come back for his faithful ones, we need to make sure that we're his you know, faithful ones, (laughs) Like, like that we're actually found faithful which implies uh, not even implies it, it demands uh, that we uh, are doing the things that God wants us to do as a as a regular practice anyway no one's going to do it perfectly you're going to let yourself and others and God down at times. It's going to happen. We don't strive for that, and we don't lean on that like a, like a safety net, you know, and just goof around, but, but you know, grace is grace and all, but, but there are things that we need to be doing, and those are the things that will prove that we are faithful, right? And so we need to be, to be found faithful, we need to be doing the things which God has called us to do. We actually have to be found practicing righteousness, practicing the things that God wants us to do. Now, as we come to verses 20 through 23 of this letter that we've been going through for some 10 weeks or so now, um, verses 20 to 23 in Jude's letter, Jude brings to our attention some things we need to be doing while we wait on the Lord. And the reason that we need to be doing these things while we wait on the Lord, if you remember this whole letter, the reason Jude tells us anything he tells us in this letter is why? Because certain men, these ungodly men, have crept into the church unnoticed. And and we said this is a, a problem that still happens today. There are still counterfeit Christians who will sit among us. And, and by all means, that doesn't mean we go, well, I wonder if that person's a fake or that person's a fake. No, no, no. We're going to learn today, especially... We want want to help guide these people back onto the right track. You know, we want to, if we're living the straight and narrow and we're faithful, we want to be those who can help uh, bring them from counterfeit to the real deal, you know, back where they need to be. Uh, But Jude tells us because of these people, this is why uh, we need to be doing these things that he's going to talk about in verses 20 through 23 uh, today. Now. In the verses immediately preceding this, the the verses that we covered last week, verses 17 through 19, you might remember uh, Jude was pointing out that um, these people that he's writing to, and it applies to us today as well, need to be um, heeding the apostles' words about these people. The apostles warned the church that this could happen and that this would happen. And uh, other apostles, we looked at that last week, have given this warning, right? That these ungodly people would creep into the church. And specifically last week, he said, these people would mock the faith. They would follow after their own ungodly lust. that there are people who cause division, that they're worldly minded, and that they're devoid of the spirit. So that's important to to have that fresh on your mind because verse 20, while we broke it up and stopped there last week and we're starting here this week, this is a connected thought. And verse 20, right after talking about these guys, says, look at the text here, but you, beloved, okay, you who are faithful, you who are still on the right track, who haven't followed after these uh, ungodly men, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So what we've got here are some instructions, right? Instructions for what we need to be doing in order to contend earnestly for the faith like we should while we wait, while we wait on the Lord. And that's what I'm calling the message this morning, uh, while we wait. And I'm calling it while we wait because Jude's words here at the end of verse 21 that we looked at there, it's not just filler text, okay? He says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, for a reason and for a very good reason. This is meant as encouragement, right? As you're doing these things and as you're heeding these warnings, you know, hey, don't forget, we're waiting for the Lord to return. Like any moment, he could come back. And there's, there's guaranteed to be a moment where he comes back. So stay strong. You know, hang in there. Have uh, the Christ's glorious return to, to grant you eternal life on that day. Have that event um, just right on the top of your mind at all times. Have his imminent return on your mind as you're doing everything. So those words are encouragement right there. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And so we got some valuable lessons here that Jude gives us as we actually jump into uh, what he says here. The first one is, "Why you wait, save yourselves, okay? This isn't a selfish thing, okay? It's the same reason they tell you, you know, on an airplane. I'm told they do that. I don't get on airplanes. You know, I'm not crazy. Um, so, you know, you pull these things down. I mean, if you think about it, it's absolutely nuts. No, <laughs> no. why would you? We'll argue about that later. And we will, too. Um, You know, I'm told they tell you to put the oxygen on first, right? You can't save anyone else unless you save yourself, right? You know, that's important. Uh, Why you wait, save yourself. So we've got to, first of all, be sure that we are doing what must be done to keep our faith strong, so that we keep ourselves in the love of God, as Jude puts it here. And as uh, the Apostle John in 1 John, we looked at that, he uses that same kind of terminology to make sure that our faith is strong so we stay in the love of God and so that we can defend the faith as others uh, Uh, You know, are, are helping Satan fire those fiery darts at us, right? I want you to notice that everything that's in verses 20 and 21 revolves around that phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God, which we find there at the beginning of verse 21. This is telling us that these other tasks that revolve around it, these other tasks of um, building ourselves up on our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit and waiting anxiously for uh, Christ to return to grant us eternal life, all of those things are related to keeping ourselves in in the love of God. They all revolve around that. We'll talk about how they do that uh, as we go through here in just a minute. Jude wants to make sure That those of us who are not yet deceived by maybe the counterfeit Christians, by the people that Jude, uh, his audience was definitely dealing with, these certain men who have crept into the church unnoticed, these ungodly men, ungodly shysters we called them one week, right? He wants to make sure that we who are on the right track, walking the straight and narrow, currently living faithful to that once for all faith that was handed down to the saints, wants to make sure that we keep it up that we keep at it, that we don't give in, that, that we aren't the next on the list to fall prey to their false doctrine and things like that. Don't don't fall for what these false teachers are, are, are putting out there. Don't buy what they're selling. That's what he wants to make sure. First of all, shore up your faith. Make sure that you're doing something on the offensive to build up your defenses, right? That sort of thing. And rather than flying around in a holding pattern and just, you know, like, boy, I hope I don't run out of gas before the Lord returns, you know, rather than doing that, again, there's things we need to be doing. And verse 20, man, Jude basically is saying, keep going and keep growing, right? In contrast to those worldly minded, ungodly men of verse 19, Jude says there, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So again, to this group that's living faithfully, hopefully, all you and me, all of us, right? But he's talking specifically to a group of people, specifically to those who are living faithful right now. He says, build yourselves up, yourselves personally and your brothers and sisters in Christ around you who are also still walking the straight and narrow, who are on the, the faithful path. Build yourselves, that faithful group, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. So Jude is calling for some investment here, right? He's calling for, for a personal investment for each of us to do this, uh, to, to grow, to improve, to actively build ourselves up spiritually. Again, there's no sitting around and waiting, you know, like a spiritual bump on a log. I don't even know what that would be, but it sounded good in my head. Um, <laughs> you don't just sit around and wait. You do things. We have responsibilities to the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. This, this Christian faith, as we call it, the gospel, and its, it's actual impact its power it belongs to God you know it's his plan it's it's his son who who he used to execute the plan Um, it's his power that, that has any kind of effect in any of this so it's his but there is a sense okay there is a sense in which it is is yours in which it is as Jude says your most holy faith there Remember verse 3, we, we, we say it all the time and we, we throw it out kind of in passing. I've said it like 18 times already, the, the, the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Remember how it said that faith was once for all handed down to who? The saints, Christians, you and me. So in a sense, there is, a, there is definitely a personal responsibility in, a sense, in that sense It it is our faith, it can be called our faith because we've been entrusted with the faith, with with the doctrine, with the the death, burial, and resurrection. We've been entrusted to to share that message, to hold true to that message, to not mess up that message, to to be um, true to that message in our life and to help pass it on to others. But here in verse 20, Jude's emphasis is on that personal responsibility that you and I have in remaining faithful, to um, God's, uh, God's gospel, this faith that, that's his, but it's also ours in the fact that he's entrusted it to us. Jude is encouraging us to do those things that we can and ought to do to remain in Christ. Paul emphasized this, uh, this same point, this personal responsibility that we have in our ongoing salvation. In Philippians 2.12, remember that? When he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, listen, this sounds really personal, and it sounds like work, and it sounds like it's something that's in your hands, and there is definitely um, a a responsibility on your side of things that does not in any way uh, say that, that you are working to earn your salvation, okay? We need to be faithful. We need to be obedient. So there are things we need to do. But by no means does anyone... Earn salvation. No one is owed salvation. It's called, again, grace for a reason. It's called mercy for a a reason. So again, this in no way says that a person is working to earn their salvation, but this is talking about uh, working to remain strong in your faith. Rather than allowing yourself to become vulnerable to temptation. Specifically in Jude's case. What he's talking about is vulnerable to the false doctrine. That these ungodly men who have crept into the church. Are spreading around. with Their, their lives and their lips. It's, it's everywhere. And it'd be really easy to fall prey to this stuff. It's deceptive. Unless you're paying attention. Unless you're building yourself up. Doing something actively to strengthen your own faith. Because we have to do this because falling for those lies leads to, to what? It's a simple answer, unfaithfulness and disobedience, right? If, if you're living after their lies, if you're following their lies rather than God's truth, you're gonna be unfaithful, you're gonna be disobedient and let's not, let's not kid ourselves and let's not beat around the bush. It's pretty evident that God has no place in heaven for someone who's not even faithful to him and someone who's uh, actively and, and regularly disobedient to Him. Grace is one thing. Mercy is one thing. But if you don't have any desire to serve Him and be faithful to His truth, it doesn't even kind of make sense. It's like somebody who has, you know, literally no desire for you to be in their house. You know, or, or actually, let's make, this, let's make this accurate. You have no desire to, to be in their house or to honor them, but you expect them to invite you over doesn't make a lot of sense, right? If you're living a life that says, I'll do what I want to do, God, and then expect heaven, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so we need to make sure we don't fall into their lies because their lies, remember, Jude says they were turning the grace of God into licentiousness. They somehow twisted God's grace into a license to practice all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of just gross, disgusting sin, and they thought, you know, hey, (laughs) In the end, I'm still serving God. But they weren't. So we've got to be very careful. Build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Do what we need to do to strengthen our defenses so that we don't fall for this stuff. So work it out like Paul said. Build it up like Jude said. It's worth asking the question, is there, is there some regimen, some, some practice, some habit that, that you can personally point to in your life that proves, that shows, that you are doing something actively to build up Yourself on your most holy faith is there something that's helping you do that something you can point to and say well Yeah, I do this and I do this and I I do that. You know, is there something? We've got folks actively trying to tear it down. What are we doing to actively build it up? See it would kind of be insane not to do something it, it, It's kind of common sense. We've been commanded in the Bible We've been shown the wisdom of it, but it's kind of common sense if people are trying to tear it down I better do something to defend it, right? I mean, it just makes logical sense as well. Guys, we've got a, um, a phrase that used to get thrown around a lot, I'm told. Uh, never was when I was around, um, or since, since I've been around. I guess I'm still around. Um, I worded that weird. I usually do. Um, we've got to be people of the book, right? Have you heard that phrase? You know, Usually, the only way I've ever heard it is preachers standing up here and saying, we used to be called people of the book won't 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 like that's kind of depressing you know kind of discouraging that they that they say it that way but that's what they always say we used to be people of the book well guys that sounds like a good way to build ourselves up to become people of the book we're talking about the bible by the way the book okay people who who know what it says first of all boy that's a big one to to read it (laughs) to know what it says and then to study it to know to understand what it's telling us and to live it right i hate to burst your bubble But if you're not reading it and studying it and doing something uh, else outside of what you're hearing in this building, that's not gonna happen. And if it's not happening, then I can tell you, and I'm not trying to be discouraging, but I am trying to be convicting, if that is all that's happening is you're just coming here and hearing um, messages uh, that, that, you know, sometimes aren't even all that great, let's just be honest, you know, sometimes i mess up the whole thing. Um, If this is all you're getting, You're not a person of the book. You're not someone who knows God's word through and through. You're not someone who is living it. Uh, I, I, again, not to be discouraging, I'm trying to convict you so that you say, you know what, I can't argue that. How could I know anything if I just show up and and listen to a a 30 or 40, or sometimes hour and 10 minute message? (laughs) You know, even that's, it's just not enough. You know, sometimes there's commercial breaks, that's why it takes that long. but you know what I mean, like, like we, wouldn't, we wouldn't accept that with anything else, right? I mean, if I had to train for some job where someone was going to pay me money for something, I wouldn't say, you know what I'll do? I'll take a 30-minute class once a week, you know, for 30 years, and then I'll be ready, you know? You'd be drawn off course and be taught all kinds of other wrong things and the wrong way to do it, and you would, I mean, your buddies would come to you and tell you, well, not ain't how you do it, more often than what you would hear in 30 minutes. Well, guess what? people who aren't your buddies are out there telling you stuff about what the Bible says more often than you're here in in this building. So you've got to be doing this at home. We've got to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now, in the second half of verse 20, we've got to move on or this will be one of those long ones. In the second half of verse 20, Jude mentions another practice that is vital to our faith-filled and I would say faith-fueled efforts toward keeping ourselves in the love of God. And that is, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul used almost an identical phrase to this in Ephesians 6.18. He said, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So there it is again. As Christians, when we pray To God the way the Bible directs us to, not just the way we want to or when we're in a pinch and a a jam and uh, we really don't have, uh, haven't given it any thought before we actually open up our mouth and start talking to the Almighty God, creator of everything. Um, When we do it the way the Bible says to do it, when we pray the way the Bible instructs us to pray, we are praying in and through, in and with the help of the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, When I say according to the Holy Spirit, I mean we're taught to pray According to God's will right and we're supposed to pray for God's will to be done Jesus modeled that for us when he was teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 10 part of his prayer to God said Your will be done even Jesus who who was doing only the wisest things you could imagine on earth The right thing at every single turn always making the right decision. He said God your will be done He knew he was gonna do God's will but he wanted to make sure that he was praying for God's will to be done. We're supposed to pray for God's will to be done. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, John taught that uh, we can be confident and can only be confident when we're praying according to his will. Look at this. He wrote, this is the confidence which we have before him. So when we're before God, praying to God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, a lot of people like to go like this. You know, just, if we ask anything, he hears us, right? I mean, I would have a bigger garage, and it would be housing a Ferrari 458 Italia, if that's the way it worked, you know? That's just the way it went, but that's not the way it works. And it's a good thing, too, because I would probably hurt myself really bad in that car, Several of them have caught on fire from the, the engine in the back up and exploded and everything else, right? So there's physical danger, but what about the spiritual danger? What would that turn me into? What kind of, what kind of things would that draw out in me? That's kind of a silly illustration. Think about something that you really, really think you want and you really, really think you need. What if, it got, what if it was something that maybe you could handle at some point, but it got rushed you jumped into it too soon? Or what if it was something you could use, but you got too much? You know what I mean? Like, like, we want this anyway. We need it to be this way. And, and thank God it is. If we pray according to his will, he hears us. We have that confidence. So, in all situations, we need to be praying that his will is done. That, that God would somehow be glorified in and through any kind of circumstances we find ourselves in. So, so practically speaking, that might look like uh, praying Instead of just praying that God would make you feel better when maybe you aren't feeling so good, maybe pray that God would heal you so that you could minister to someone else. Now, I'm not talking about making deals with God. God, if you would take away this diarrhea, I promise I'll go talk to my neighbor. Was that the wrong illustration? Sorry. (laughs) Ladies, shield your eyes and cover your ears. No, no, you know what I mean? Like don't make deals with God, but by all means, you know, pray for good things that, you know, hey, this is actually holding me back from doing this thing that, that I wanna do desperately for you, Lord. You know, if you heal me of it, boy, you better believe I'm gonna be going that way. But even if he doesn't heal you, even if he doesn't give you what you want or whatever else, Ask God to also be sure that if it's not in his will to to do this or to do that, that he would give you, that he would strengthen you to still be able to to shine as a Christian who's content in Christ, even in the midst of maybe some difficult circumstances. Boy, wouldn't that be a powerful thing to others to see, to witness. They might almost think that Christians look different than them. And that would be a really, really good thing, right? Right? And or maybe we pray that in the midst of whatever we're going through, I don't care if it's sickness or just you know financial drought or you know whatever we we sometimes find ourselves coming to God and being like, woe is me. What if we prayed and we said, God, teach me a lesson through this. Let me come out on the other side of this having learned something. You know, let this pain uh, produce some strength. Let me let me learn patience and forgiveness and mercy let me let me have an opportunity to show some grace to somebody, uh, boy, my goodness, some understanding, like getting to see something from somebody else's perspective and their point of view, so that maybe i don't i don 't behave the way I did before or say the things I did before because I could actually make a bigger impact, a greater impact for you if I learned a lesson maybe i don 't know what that lesson is, God, but I trust you 'll teach me that lesson through this, right those are Really good prayers to pray that's praying in and through right the the Holy Spirit for God's uh, will to be done And when we're praying that way when the desires of our prayers are focused on glorifying God We have the added confidence that the Holy Spirit helps us Uh, Specifically we're told in the Bible that he helps with our weakness in prayer now. What's our weakness? Well We don't always know exactly how to pray or, or what like in the sense of what we should pray How should we pray it? Uh, We don't know what the right solution is all the time. So we don't say, God, will you please do this? Because we don't know what the best thing is. So sometimes we just have to pray like, God, I, I don't see the good in this, but I want good for you to come from it. Well, what are we told happens then? Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Praying in the Holy Spirit is a critical part of uh, us keeping ourselves in the love of God. Think about the faith and the trust and the dependence upon God that's demonstrated when we pray like this, when we pray in the Holy Spirit, according to His will and with His help. That's a big deal right there. As we come to the end of verse 21, Jude writes, Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This is that third phrase that revolves around keeping ourselves in the love of God, right? Now when we see the phrases, uh, Waiting anxiously and to eternal life, when we see those two things, waiting anxiously and to eternal life, this tells us we're talking about active readiness, right? Being actively ready for Christ's return to grant us eternal life. Again, not sitting around spiritually like a, like a bump on a log. We have to be ready, first of all we know, because nobody knows when the Lord is coming back. Not even the Son, only God the Father. Matthew 24, 36 tells us that. Jesus is speaking here and he says, but of that day, the one you're thinking of, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And then when we talk about being actively ready, we're not talking about just being willing. There's a lot of people that are willing, uh, or so they say. We're talking about actually being ready. To be ready now and to do what it takes to always be ready is, is quite a different thing than just being willing to get ready. Again, lots of people who say they're, they're willing to get ready, you know, when the time is right, when, when, when things slow down, you know, when, when the kids are out of the house, when all the kids are in school, when this happens, when that happens, when I retire, uh, when I'm on my deathbed, you know, oh, goodness gracious, that's a dangerous one. But people do it. People say it, right? But it's way different to, to to get ready and to do what it takes to stay ready, than to be willing to get ready. Those are two different things altogether. Think about the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13. All ten came out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them got tired, fell asleep, and, and found themselves uh, unprepared, aka not ready for when the bridegroom showed up. Now, when he showed up, what do they do? They tried to hurry and get ready, right? Did they have time, or was it too late? Here's Jesus' conclusion on that, that matter, that parable. He said, "Be on the alert." Matthew 25:13, "Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour." Now here in the real world, it's a little more well, that's a parable. In the real world, it's a little more complex than that. It's not quite as simplistic as just being there and just, you know, staying awake I'm watching. I'm ready. There's a little more to it than that, right? In fact, Jude, that's what he's telling us, right? There's people, uh, there's things at play against us. There's obstacles being thrown in our path, such as, but not limited to, these fake Christians in the church, these disingenuous, ungodly men who cause division. So, So Jude wants us to pay careful attention to the need that we have to build ourselves up, to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, to pray in the Holy Spirit. All of this... To anxiously wait for the Lord's return, so that so that we're doing it in such a way that when He returns, it is to eternal life. That, that His return means we're going home to heaven. That's what He wants to make sure for us, right? So while you wait, save yourselves. Relax. It's a two-point sermon. Second one is save others. While you wait, while you wait, save others. While you wait, save others. When we're in a situation like Jude is describing uh, in this letter, and that he's addressing to this particular audience, uh, we obviously aren't going to be content with just you know sitting around and making sure that those who are in the faith stay in the faith. That, that we make sure we keep ourselves you know on the up and up, and that we you know just look around and you know whoever's still behaving, we'll we'll, we'll invest in them and we'll try to help them out. No, we want to also try to win back some of those who have who have gone the wrong way, some of those who have gotten deceived and and gone after the wrong stuff and followed after the wrong teachings and and aren't aren't focused on his word and living by his word. In verses 22 and 23, Jude explains this. He said, And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. There's three groups being addressed here. And, And don't forget... All three of these groups are present in the church. So as we go along, let's not think uh, that this is just the world outside here. This is present, uh, can be present in the church. And when Jude's addressing it, it is very much so. He's saying these things because he's telling a specific audience about these people. The people in your church, he's saying, Jude is, you need to save this group this way and this group that way and this other group this other way. Okay, so all three of these groups were present in the church at that time, could be present in the church still today. Okay, group number one is when he says, have mercy on some who are doubting. You see how he defines who the some are, those who are doubting, right? There's some who need our mercy or our compassion while they have doubts. Now, the the Greek word that's used for doubting here, so the original word that, that Jude used, it indicates that these are people who are questioning things. These are people who are, who are kind of judging both sides here or, or weighing the options, calculating which one makes most sense, calling things into question, though. You know, they're, they're actually doubting in a, in a very real sense, the way we use the word doubting. But it's also kind of, like I say, calculating, judging things, trying to figure out which one to believe, which way I should go, okay? Now, sometimes Christians have the tendency to condemn people who question things it may be our own insecurity you know that we don't have the maybe the confidence that, that we could go toe to toe and argue the points uh, accurately and properly that, that explaining and guiding and teaching may not result in what we wanted to result in maybe we're afraid we won't convince them or maybe we lack patience like, like we just that virtue is something we need to get to work on and we lack patience and so as soon as somebody starts questioning something in the faith my faith you know They start questioning it. Then we go straight to this major disappointment mode. And we're like, you know, and that's, we can't get words out. We're just (whistles) you know, groaning too deep for words. (laughs) That's a different thing altogether, but it doesn't look good on us. And it doesn't do any good either. Jude says, these people need mercy. They need compassion. That doesn't mean that we, we step away and we remain aloof and we let them just kind of figure it out for themselves, okay? We need to recognize, though, here's what we need to do. Recognize that as we try to teach and lead and guide and bring people back onto the right path who have strayed, as we do that, the natural response is for them to question things. It would be weird if you said, Brother, I've noticed some of the things you've been saying lately, like it, it makes it sound like you believe Insert false doctrine here. And they go, well, uh, you know, I believe that's the way it is. Well, brother, you know, what about this? Consider that, blah, blah, blah. Well, what do you think they're going to do? Go, oh, okay. Maybe, but probably not. They're probably going to say, well, what about, you know, so-and-so says this. and so right. They're going to have questions. They're going to doubt what you're saying at first. You're going to have to convince them. But if you blow up, if you don't have mercy and compassion, if you freak out on them, What's that gonna result in? You're not gonna feel better may feel natural, but you're not going to feel better, and they're not going to be convinced of the error of their way, okay? They may even become contentious with you, but have mercy on these people. Allow them the opportunity to figure things out by showing them compassion, giving them that mercy while they're doubting. That's how you can win them back. The second group, group number two, is found there at the beginning of verse 23. Jude says, save others, okay, different group, save others, snatching them out of the fire, Okay, now the fact that Jude uses a phrase like snatching them out of the fire clearly tells us we're talking about a different group here, right? We're talking about a group. I mean, you use the word snatching. Uh, that word can mean to take by force. Whoa, okay. <laughs> if you don't turn back to the Lord, I may have to use force, okay? It's not quite like that, but, but it is. It's drastic measures maybe. It's being a little more direct, okay? We're not talking about people who are figuring it out anymore, We're not talking about people who have some questions or who are calculating things, okay? These are the willfully corrupt. These are the ones who will mistake you showing them mercy for permission, okay? That's quite a different thing. If you show this group compassion or mercy, they'll think that they they got away with it. Or worse yet, they may think that you approve of their behavior. I'll wait. This group doesn't need mercy. This group doesn't need compassion. They need drastic action. They need something, something intense. They need somebody to be direct with them. Not mean, not angry, but direct. To get very involved in their situation, to challenge with clarity and some loving force, okay? And now let me drop this bomb on you. This group, I, I've asked a few different people to see if they agree And these are all preachers, leaders in churches. This group seems to be agreed upon to be the most prevalent of the three in the church today. Think about that. People who are doing wrong and don't see the issue. They don't see, they don't recognize the error of their ways. They have no idea the seriousness of their sin. Think about this. There are people who don't see the seriousness of their temper. They, they don't think that it's a, a big deal. Should that be the way a Christian is? Should, should a Christian just kind of let their temper do whatever it does, you know, because it's just the way I was wired? Or should a Christian work on patience and mercy and showing grace and forgiving people and uh, turning the other cheek and things like that? Yeah, so, so if you're not, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal, right? But some are just walking along out here and sitting in the pews and thinking that it's not a big deal. What about this? Some people don't think that it's really that big of a deal that their schedule revolves around keeping their family and their friends happy while God gets left with their leftovers. I'll be here when I get here. I'll leave when I need to leave. I'll not be involved where I need to be involved. I'll, you know, uh, when I've got the time, I'll do it. You know, flip that schedule upside down. Get to the rest of it after you've honored God. Then there's some that don't think the movies and the music and the websites and the apps that they enjoy so much could possibly be corrupting their minds. I'm not like throwing out weird like conspiracy things or, you know, I didn't just suddenly age like four decades and i tell you those kids, you know, I'm, I just know what, what this stuff does. I've read the Bible. Many of you have too. That stuff corrupts your minds if you're getting into stuff that you shouldn't be. I'm not saying that all of those things are bad. Okay? That would be the meh, meh, meh kind of attitude. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm saying we've got to be people who look at this stuff and can see the seriousness of putting junk into our minds that will corrupt our minds. So again, this isn't a group. We're not talking about a group here, Jude isn't, that is figuring things out. Okay? They're not trying to figure anything out, and that's the danger for them. They think they've got it figured out, and that's the, the problem. And so gentle, patient, compassion, mercy, that isn't what they need. They need a Christian brother or sister who loves them to be very direct with them, to get right to the point, to get involved in their business, to be straightforward and clear. These are people who are presently in the fire, okay? That's, that's why Jude just says it this way, save others, snatching them out of the fire. Because where are they? Their present condition is firebound. So they're considered in the fire right now. Right now, while they're still living this life on earth, they can get out of that fire but they are in it in such a way that they need you to go rescue them. Okay, do it with love. This is not a license to be mean or rude, but these people are a group that you gotta, you gotta really get in there and just be real direct and clear and say like, look, I'm doing this because I love you, but, but you and I, we're gonna be spending a lot more time together here for a while. Because we need to talk about some things, right? I don't know what it it necessarily looks like because it depends on the situation and what they're involved in. But that's what this group needs. They need to be snatched out of the fire. Group number three, there at the very end, Jude says, and on some have mercy with fear. Mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Some require mercy mixed with a little fear. Maybe a lot of fear, right? As we... Correct and rebuke and counsel and advise and lead others back onto the right path with Christ and in the household of God, it is so important that we remember the dangers of the sin that we're getting ready to address, that we're getting ready to deal with. The Apostle Paul uh, spoke to this as well in Galatians 6.1. He said, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. So see, the, the spirit is restoration. We want to restore them. We don't want to kick them out. We don't want to be mean to them. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a a spirit of gentleness. But listen to this. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. As we seek to to turn others back onto the right path, we have to be really on our guard to be sure that we don't get caught up in their mess as well, right? Jesus was obviously really good at this. Really good. Uh, He's a great example of working with people in the midst of their mess, but not getting caught up in it himself, right? We know he never got caught up in it it himself. And he was right there in the trenches with people helping them through some of the, what we would call the worst sin that there is, you know? And he was helping these people and he was turning them into his disciples. So it was working, but he was obviously very careful. He was very good at that. But we aren't always so good at that. And so we need to be on our guard. Sometimes the specific sin a person is caught up in is one of those that is just uh, particularly deceiving. It has a a knack for deceiving people. Um, You know, it can get everybody. You know, it's tricky. It's, it's slick. It's slimy. And while we've still got to show these people mercy, they need our compassion and help, we've got to be really, really careful to be sure we don't get caught up in that mess. I've seen a lot of people make close friendships uh, with people from different denominational backgrounds thinking that they might turn them toward the truth. But they weren't on their guard, and so the next thing you know, they were compromising sound doctrine. I've seen a lot of that. I've also heard from some Uh, other Christian leaders about stories. I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but uh, people I know, trust, and love who are leaders of churches have told me multiple stories of a a Christian brother, uh, a brother in Christ trying to help out uh, a woman from the church who was caught up in a marriage that was plagued by adultery from both sides. And before long, that helpful brother turned into an adulterous brother. You got to be really, really careful. These situations have to be handled carefully and wisely. It could be that you need a second person to help you in this. You you probably do. Be smart about that. It could be that you need to stay out of a particularly tempting situation. You know, hey, um, I'm just going to be honest with myself. I'm kind of weak right there. And so, you know, or, or, or even maybe I don't feel weak there, but I've been there before. And maybe somebody else should handle this. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, tag somebody else in, let them, you know, step through the ropes and come in and handle this one for you, okay? I, I don't know, but the, the point of this, it's gonna look different at different times, but the point is there are some people caught up in some sins that require us to make sure that we show them mercy mixed with a healthy dose of, of fear, of concern and care for our own spiritual well-being, remembering the extreme danger of sin. Okay, so, so church, while we wait anxiously for the Lord's return, we've got to do far more than just sit around and wait, right? We need to be sure to keep ourselves in the love of God, building ourselves up on our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And then beyond ourselves, we also need to help turn some of these counterfeit Christians back to the real deal. We can do it, right? Having mercy on some who are doubting, saving others by snatching them out of fire because that's where they are, And then having mercy on some mixed with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh."